Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Matt Eddy, I'm John Manuel. Matt, but we haven't done one of these together in a while. Our podcast schedule got a little compressed. Real life, damn real life for imposing <laughs> on our podcast schedule. But uh, we, we, we actually have a, a subject Two subjects that you and I have argued about and debated in the office um, that we wanted to touch on in this podcast. But uh, so we're going to start off, I think, with a designated hitter. We'll get to expansion later. <laughs> that's that's the one we'll probably disagree more. I, I presume, correct? Probably yes. I think that's I think that's safe to say. But let's start off with the DH, Matt. You kind of uh, touched off a little firestorm on the Baseball America comment boards by advocating for the. Uh, addition of the designated hitter in the National League. It was it's titled Three Reasons that the NL should adopt the DH. And I guess we should start from the standpoint that's an important part of the lead of your story. You did not do this lightly. You didn't come into this as a anti DHite or as a pro DH guy. Right. But I think if you preferred a style of play, you preferred the National League, correct? Yeah, I mean I've been following National League Baseball more closely for 27 years. Right. And and, and until about a year ago, I would argue uh, against the DH, you know, for probably what, what could be deemed aesthetic reasons. Right. And I just found that the argument held less and less water the more I looked at the data, the more I talked with industry sources about, you know, what's going on below the major league level with pitchers hitting. That was a big part of this, and you know, so if you aren't familiar, and if you haven't read the story, shame on you, but if you aren't familiar, a big part of this for me when you pitched this as a story idea was the lack of plate appearances and hitting opportunities. So it was a player development angle, but the lack of hitting that minor league pitchers do. And I guess it makes sense in some ways that right. they don't hit a lot, Matt, because You'd rather have your prospect or a player who you could be a prospect, could be a major league hitter, get those at bats. But hitters only hit in the minor leagues. Pitchers, I should say, pitchers only hit in the minor leagues at double A or above when two National League affiliates play each other. Correct. So I I can't remember seeing too many pitchers hitting uh, the minor league games I've ever been to. Me neither. And you know what's what's odd is like as part of the job description for a major league pitcher in the National League, you have to bat sixty to eighty times. Right. If you're a starting pitcher, exactly. And in your entire minor league career, you might bat 20 or 30. I mean, how how can we expect pitchers to hone their craft to improve as hitters? I just don't think it's it's realistic with the minor league structure we have in place right now. I mean, we we could all say, well, yeah, pitchers could be better if if, <laughs> right. if, we, if we did give them the repetitions in the minors. Or they should be better. But National League teams have not made this a priority. So, I mean, it comes down to that for me. It's like, if Major League teams don't care about it. Why do I care about pitchers hitting? It was actually one of the first stories I did at Baseball America. It may have actually been my first story. It was a fall 1996 package that we did that Jason Stark wrote about, about pitchers hitting. I think the peg hmm. of it was uh, that there were a couple of hit- pitchers who were doing really well. Mm-hmm. Mike Hampton, I mm-hmm. believe, was early in his career with the Astros. I forget who else we pegged it to. I remember that I did a sidebar that Jim Callis completely rewrote on uh, <laughs> on Wes Farrell. Nice. North Carolinian, one of the all-time great hitters as a pitcher. And I believe the premise of the story was that he's the best hitting pitcher of all time. Yep. So by our the metrics that we use in 1996. <laughs> so so it's kind of funny that, that was the, that when you pitched the idea to me. And what startled me, Matt, was just seeing the data on... How much worse pitchers hit now 
than they did 18 years ago, but especially 40 years ago. So in this DH era, since the National League really has become the only league in North America, other than I think maybe the Northern League's Eastern Division or something like that, there might be one indie league that doesn't use the DH. Affiliated ball. But in affiliated ball, the National League's the only one. And since that happened, this the demise of pitcher hitting is startling. Yeah, I was going to ask you, why do you think, aside from the lack of repetition in the minors? I mean, I touched on one potential theory in the story. Mm-hmm. The fact that pitchers focus on pitching more as amateurs now than they used to. I think that's the biggest thing is just specialization in all sports. It's true in all sports. I mean, I don't watch hockey, so we have to bring in Jim Schoener. But in the other professional sports, certainly in, in soccer, players are specialized and differentiated. In basketball, in, in, in football, both those sports have increased specialization, especially football. But in basketball, there are certain players who their only job is to be spot up shooters, or they just shoot. They either shoot threes or layups, so that's it. And that's as big data has impacted basketball. It's really changing the way basketball is played. And we've seen in baseball the evolution of specialization over the years. Yeah, uh, a lot of it's the Larusaization of the game, and if you can use that as a as a verb, but just the hyper specialized bullpen and the the game that has created. So to me, pitcher hitting is just part of that. It's pitchers are specialized to pitch, not to hit. And so that's just become like a vestigial part of being a pitcher. It's certainly not essential, so it's becoming like the appendix. That just It's almost more trouble than it's <laughs> worth. So it's not almost. It is more trouble than it's worth. That's kind of your point, is that um, it is more trouble, and you have pitchers who get hurt hitting. But more than that, it's just not entertaining. It's just not appealing. So what do we do about it? It's not competitive, right? It's not competitive. So the question is, what do we do about it? So the easy answer, I guess, would be to just... Adopt the designated hitter in both leagues. But boy, I'll tell you, that simple uh, suggestion has not uh, gone over well with so many traditionalists. And I guess I put it in my hackles head. Hackles are raised. They are raised. This is, the, this is one time where we actually physically get to see hackles raised. <laughs> one thing that you really also see about this is that another, it ties into Chris Rock's little uh, seven-minute uh, speech that he gave on Bryant Gumbel on uh, HBO's Real Sports about why blacks aren't as interested in baseball anymore. That's a, I'll, let, I'll keep that to Chris Rock. But one element of that discussion was tradition and how baseball is always about throwback right. and looking to the past. And that really seems to be a part of the DH discussion is that, yes. well, Major League Baseball was good enough for 104 years without it, if you want to date it to 19, 1869, mm-hmm. without the DH, and now it's better. For, you know, I'm, it doesn't need it now. That's really the only argument for pitchers hitting in the National League, it seems. A lot of a lot of watchers also like the um, the, the decision points the manager faces regarding p- pinch hitting for the pitcher and the double switch. I saw that I mean, argument. We, we, we can counter, we can talk about that too if you want to. Yeah, I don't mind because it does seem like that makes for less strategy in a lot of ways. It's just de facto that the pitcher's going to bunt, you know, or that he's going to strike out or <laughs> make it out. So that reduces... There's more play. I would say it's counterbalanced by the, by the uh, complete lack of drama when a pitcher does hit. The only thing that the pitcher hitting really contributes, besides that potential strategy of the double switch, that kind of thing, like you said, which I'll grant that point, but I think it's counterbalanced by the ineffectiveness of pitchers hitting. The only other contribution is the comedic value right. <laughs> from a Bartolo Colon at bat or some in, of that. But in the age of the GIF, that has that has uh, some soft. Value exactly. It's like soft power, you know. It's like it's like Hollywood for the United States uh, overseas. It is soft power. The the pitcher bad swing, mm-hmm. but we can get that from some inept uh, position players as well. <laughs> not, maybe none of them as comedic as Bartolo Colon. I will grant, but that as diminishing returns. Bart's over forty now, so mm-hmm. at some point we're going to lose that comedic uh, genius that is the Bartolo Colon swing. Um, but the other reasons seem to be falling by the wayside of. It really does seem mostly bound up in tradition, does it not? I think that's fair. Uh, and, and, the tr- and the strategies that managers have, the best practices managers have developed because of that tradition. How many of those guys, how, how many ma- nationally managers really are masters of the double switch where you really, I guess I'm wondering how many games in the course of a year does that really affect? It seems like it was pointed out by some of the commenters that Bruce Bochy in the postseason has been particularly adept at the double switch, knowing when to double switch. Yeah, but kind of the the downside of the double switch is you have to remove one of your starters, too, who is, you know, theoretically one of your eight best 
players. Right. So to me, that's kind of a downside to it. It's one thing to double switch for Juan Perez, but there's no strategy involved, and you're never going to double switch for Buster Posey. No matter how much you like Andrew Susak, exactly. <laughs> you're yeah. never going to double switch for your three, four, five hole hitter. So it's not really that much. There's not much to think about there. What were some of the other reasons? Did, 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 did uh, our readers give you any other reasons for why they wanted to keep Pitcher sitting? I got one really good response to the story, in my opinion, in that um, somebody suggested that the, the players most likely to play DH could be taking roster spots from young players who are more versatile. I like that one. I thought that was an interesting way to look at it. You know, the, the thought being that, you know, tying up a roster spot in a, a hitter only is potentially taking one away from a younger player right. who's trying to break into the majors. A younger player who's theoretically more athletic, more dynamic, can help your team in more than one way to win. So that's that's the thing that, in general, about specialization that is counter to what we do at Baseball America where we're trying to find future big league players at the high school, college level, those kind of things, and in the minor leagues, where... In general, what you're, a lot of things, times you're looking at players who have more than one way to help a team win. And so frequently, the, the, the lure of the five-tool player, poor Ahemplo, not just that he's exciting to watch, but it's that if the guy doesn't hit, he can still help you win a game with his arm. Right. He can help you win a game with his wheels. He can help you win a game with his glove. But that is not valued necessarily at the major league level. Because now it's, well... I don't want, even want him running or trying to help us. David Ortiz is trying to help you win a game in any other way than with the bat and right. with the power. He applies two tools, and that's it. The other ones can be 20s, and it doesn't matter. Right. And that is kind of counter to what, you know, so the, that specialization does kind of retard the development. It could potentially retard scouting and player development to me, and it feels like it kind of does, and it has in the bullpen, yes. where instead of pitchers being developed to be starters and to be well-rounded pitchers just go throw as hard as you can out of the bullpen and you can help us win that way and that way it creates a less entertaining game at least to me i agree i agree i mean that ship has sailed but i mean i agree with your your premise you know there's already this creeping specialization with the dh and with the bullpen i'm not sure how you counteract that matt and it's interesting and like to me how would a how would a player who can only hit and hit for power have less claim on a major league roster spot than a one-pitch reliever. Right. Than a defensive-only utility infielder. Right. I mean, there's already one-dimensional players in the major leagues, even Correct. without the DH. So railing on the DH because it creates one-dimensional players, just kind of that ship sailed. I mean, are you going to so. eliminate relief pitching? Eliminate guys yeah. who are one-pitch pitchers? What, are you going to eliminate a knuckleballer? He's specialization. <laughs> He's specialized. He only throws one pitch. I mean, that's not... We don't hear those arguments. Eddie so. Gamboa, pack your bags. You're out of here. Exactly. Who else is there? There's Ari Dickey. Dickey. That's yeah. it, right? I think so. What happened to your boy who was with the White Sox? Charlie Hager. Charlie Hager, yeah. He's not on a 40-man. Oh, wait, Stephen Wright. Yes. Stephen Wright. He's a third 40-man player. I will spare everybody my terrible Stephen Wright impersonation. (laughs) But I do like my joke about the lack of interstate highways, or the fact that there are interstate highways in Hawaii (laughs) because Stephen Wright went to college in Hawaii. That would be his joke. But we do, uh, yeah, we, a num- we solicited opinions on Facebook and Twitter. Yes, we did. And if you aren't following already, it's at Baseball America on Twitter and our Facebook page. Uh, a lot of video been loaded up to our Facebook page, so make sure you give us a like over there if you haven't already. It was from Facebook, actually, that I thought we had the best suggestion from Stony Setzer. The only way I'd be okay with the DH, which is kind of funny because the DH has been around for 40 years. So, But Stoney says the only way I'd be okay with the DH would be a stipulation that the same player cannot start consecutive games as the DH. If the DH is done on a rotating basis, it would give regulars some rest without taking them out of the lineup while keeping bench players sharp by giving them more playing time. However, I don't like the idea of anyone being a full-time DH. Stoney, that, again, it's been 40 years, so... I, Baseball's giving you time to get used to the idea, but I do kind of think that's a creative suggestion, don't it's, you? I do. I like that one. It's interesting. I don't know if, if, you could, if you could implement it, what you would probably end up with is just platoons. Right. The Red Sox, for example, would have Ortiz and Napoli just rotate first in DH every other day. And that would be, inter- that would be in some ways, more interesting. Mm-hmm. You, would, you would see if a player like Big Poppy would get taken advantage of more. It seems like players don't do that, Matt, you know, even with all the extreme shifts. We don't see more bunting to beat the shifts. Uh, would we see more players try to bunt to take advantage of David Ortiz playing first base? Well, I, I don't know. I don't know if you'd see that. There aren't that many other players who are 
uh, you know, full-time DHs, but... That is, I, a, that is a misconception. A minority of AL teams actually have a full, dedicated DH. It does seem like instead they kind of, not necessarily platoon, but they do use the DH to give their worst defensive player a spell. But, I mean, like, outside of Big Poppy, Victor Martinez... Billy Butler. A few other guys. Yeah, Billy Butler is, like, the one rare case in recent years of a young player who essentially broke in as a DH. I mean, yep. I know he played some early career first base and that kind of thing, but very quickly the Royals decided, no, we don't want this guy <laughs> with a glove on his hand. So, um, uh, but, but, I mean, would do you feel like if Billy Butler had been forced to play 80 games a year defensively, would he have gotten a three-year, $30 million contract like he did this offseason from the, from the A's? Or do you think his... Career would have developed, and I, I think we'd be worse off for no country breakfast in baseball. I like country breakfast. I like Victor Martinez. I like seeing David Ortiz hit. I like seeing all those guys hit. So, right. I don't have a problem with it. But that's an intriguing idea, and that would allow you again those younger players who are more versatile would would break in a little bit more. Yeah, adding the DH to the NL would also allow Buster Posey, for example, to, right to play DH, and I think that's better for the game. I, I would agree again. Yeah. Um, a couple of these other ideas. Let's discuss some of these. Let's go to Twitter first. Brian McWilliams added uh, or asked, "What about starting a pitcher with a two-zero count? At least make the at bat interesting. Outs are too automatic right now. That's a radical idea. It feels <laughs> like very radical to give a pitcher a start with a two-zero count. How big of a difference do you think that would make, Matt? I think Zach Granke could approach one hundred ops plus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, That's it. I don't know. I don't know. Would it, would it make an impact on the guys who just don't have any?" Any feel for the barrel at all? No, I don't think so. Because you're still going to get fastballs, you know. Can can a bad hitting major league pitcher do something with the major league pitcher's fastball? I guess that's what it comes down to. I mean, would most would most teams give their pitcher a take sign on those first two pitches? At least, I mean, at least I think. So then you'd almost have less competitive at bats because you'd have one chance to swing. You know, I mean, like outside of Grinky and the occasional Mike Leak and some of those guys who. Who do handle the bat? Mm-hmm. So I don't like it. I don't like the suggestion because, especially if, if it's two zero count, would that change if there's a runner on base and the pitcher's asked to bunt? Hmm. I mean that that would seem like that would be you'd want to go to normal rules with a runner on base because in those cases pitchers generally bunt and are you know somewhat successful with that. So I think that's too radical of an idea for me, Brian. <laughs> uh, I, but I do appreciate your participation. Jesus Zoidberg, I'm guessing that's not his real name. Uh, only thing I could think of is having the DH for any position on the lineup besides the pitcher. That's also a radical idea. What do you think of that one? I like that one, too. I would be in favor of that. And I want to know why that why that's outlawed in the major leagues. Do you have any idea? No, I think I, I, I guess because they came to it in the... I mean, the, the, the obviously, the early 70s were not the first time they thought of the DH. Right. It was thought of, like, what, 70 years before that, like right around the turn of the 19th and 20th centuries. I believe the 20s or 30s, yeah. So there were ideas already for uh, a DH before, but I think it was because they already knew that pitchers couldn't hit. Mm-hmm. And so they wanted to replace the worst hitter on the team, the pitcher, with a better hitter. So this is... the the, the solu- It was a solution... And they went... It was a problem, and they went to try to, to find a solution. But the problem always has been... Pitchers can't hit. So that's why I'm, I've am i reached the conclusion that you have, that pitchers haven't been able to hit for a long time. And should they be expected to? <laughs> no, they shouldn't. And do teams want to invest the time to make them good hitters? Absolutely not. They are comfortable with pitchers being that specialized, just as they're comfortable with all their relief pitchers being that specialized. So, I, so that's why I wouldn't. I kind of like, like if you had the Dodgers, for example, they have Granke and Kershaw and Ryu, all pretty good hitters, right. pitchers. They could conceivably play a defensive specialist at shortstop or catcher that they feel will give them an advantage and not have to bat that player while batting Granky. Now, that would be interesting. Then they could have played. Then Arsbel, Arway, Barriwena might have actually been a big league player. Miguel Rojas. Right. Tim Fedorovich. I mean, they've had a lot of guys who are strong defenders. There are probably days where they wish they could hit Granky instead of Zach, uh, A.J. Ellis when they yeah. play A.J. Ellis. So uh, That makes sense. What is the career? Are, is, are the Dodgers or the Dodgers have the best hitting pitchers as a group? In baseball, I would have to say in that general would be yes. Well, maybe not now that they've added McCarthy. He's <laughs> <laughs> but, non-competitive. He's a non-compete. I mean, but Zach Grinky, I guess in my mind, I'm pronouncing his name like I'm Alan Matthews Grinky. He has he had a 60 ops plus, which was the best of any active pitcher when I looked it up. 
And so he actually gets when when you look at I mean, he talk, he's the freak of freaks because as an American League prospect he never batted in the minors on his way up and yet he's the best hitting pitcher. This is true, of course, as an amateur. Uh, I mean, I think we all know about how good his uh, athleticism. He's just a really athletic player, mm-hmm. uh, an athletic pitcher. But this was a guy who was re- re- who was recruited originally by Clemson as a third baseman, third baseman slash pitcher in the same recruiting class. I'll say it for the millionth time because he's he's the last one standing. It was a uh, him, Jeff Francoeur, and, and Jeremy Hermida were all the same recruiting class. Um, we also had a, a good one from the at the triple play. Uh, for all interleague games, have a coin toss before the game. Winning manager can decide on DH or no DH. That would mess up a lot of the strategies a lot of these teams have, Matt, where they load up their rosters. They change their roster and shuffle guys on and off the 40-man sometimes uh, to have more pitchers, less pitchers, a different a guy, a guy like a Jerry Sands gets called up if he's in the National League for an interleague series because they could DH him and then he gets sent back down when that's over. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of fun to think about. I don't, you know, even if you had the managers decide without a coin toss, like when would they make the decision by? You know, right? Um, I, hey, next week we're going to play with the DH. Us twenty four hours before game time. Right. You know, it, it gets a little murky. It, it might be fun to experiment with, but. I don't think it's viable. But after that email, after that tweet at the triple play came around to your way of thinking, uh, as Urge Overkill would say, and said, seriously, though, NL teams aren't exactly breeding their pitchers to hit. It's time for the NL to adopt the DH, (laughs) which was your conclusion. And then uh, John Magny uh, says, get the pitchers in the cage so they can put together a decent AB or bring on the DH and extend a few careers. That's also the conclusion. That's the conclusion, and that's the thing, is MLB has not decided to get the pitchers in the cage extra times, especially in the minor leagues. I guess, Matt, what I'm wondering is if Major League Baseball did say, you know what, instead of giving Kyle Roller, not to pick out Kyle Roller, but a guy who's basically drafted as a DH and has been a DH most of his minor league career, instead of giving DHs more ABs in the minor leagues, we're going to let pitchers hit from day one in the minors. So from the GCL all the way up to the AAA leagues, pitchers always hit. And so that we can give these pitchers chances to develop as hitters. Mm-hmm. Do you think that would help? And do you think that would make would that make it in say ten or fifteen years? Would that make you willing to have pitchers hit again? Would it change your mind? Uh, as to the first part, yes, I think it definitely would improve their ability because I see that as the major hindrance to why not only that they're bad, but they've gotten worse and acutely worse in the last half decade. Right. As to whether that would be a more entertaining game or not. Well, that's subjective. I don't know. What do you What do you think? Um, I actually think it would make it better. I mean, I am. I'm not a traditionalist. I think the game has to change. That said, I, I like the idea. I think. I think if pitchers were a viable option to hit, where it wasn't comically bad how bad they were, mm-hmm. and if it weren't almost an automatic strikeout, then I would have some. I, I mean, I just know from playing Stratomatic, what a difference it makes when your pitcher has a good hitting card. Right. And you've got an Adam Wainwright. Right. Yeah. It really makes a difference. Yeah. Yet no team takes advantage of this. Correct. Systematically. Right. They don't. And they haven't decided that's a big enough, um, you know, uh, inefficiency to exploit, hey, we're going to be the organization that has the best hitting pitchers. That hasn't been in a strategy that I can tell from anybody. So it must not be enough gain from that to for that to be a strategy. So... I do think if you change it all in the minor leagues, I do think it would make a difference. But I'm, I think I'm just over that, and I'm just ready for the DH. Um, I, I think baseball needs to unmoor itself from its past in many more ways, and that would be a very symbolic way. Uh, I don't think baseball needs to go around pissing off its older fans, which I guess this would do, but I think they'd get over it personally. We had a couple other suggestions on here, Matt. Um, again, some radical ones. And Tim Murray and JT, JT Hyatt both suggested on Facebook essentially dropping, uh, one suggested dropping to eight batters, mm-hmm. another suggested just adding a tenth batter. So in the AL, you make the pitcher's bat, and in the NL, you get a DH. Those are both radically changed baseball's history, records. Boy, a tenth batter would really, yeah. you'd see the best hitters hit a lot less. Yes, but that one is a no-go for sure, because we, we would get less right. from the best players in baseball. 
Uh, the eight-man eight lineups. Though. I think we'd have a new single-season hits leader within probably five years. Ichiro would have loved to have batted. <laughs> I mean, how many more times would he yeah. hit a year? 100? And maybe the home run record would be in play if some team put a slugger in the two spot in the order. You know? Right. No, absolutely. <clears throat> I I don't like that one personally because of the the sanctity of uh, league rules or league records. Sanctity of league rules and records. That's already that's addressed by Elliot Handley on Facebook. Once MLB got rid of league offices and introduced interleague play, the concept of leagues has become pointless, which he's right about that. Mm-hmm. So he says baseball should be separated into East and West conferences, mm-hmm. cut down travel, create stronger rivalries. This is the kind of thing that this DH discussion really spurred because it has kind of become the identity of the two leagues. Any previous identity you had of the American League and National League, like my son's playing and he's in the he's, play, he's playing up this year in kid, in kid pitch. So there's two leagues. There's the National and the American. The National League is for the better kids. The American is for the lesser, quote-unquote, kids because it's the junior circuit. So, I mean, that's vestigial from 115 years ago. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, in the 1950s, the American League seemed like it was the dominant league. But starting in the 60s, because it was more integrated, the National League really became the dominant league. But all those kind of you know, high fastball league versus breaking ball league, that kind of stuff, that all got superseded by the DH League and the non-DH League, right? Yep. And that's really been the total identity of these two leagues. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you eliminated uh, pitcher hitting, what would the identity be of the Amer- – what would the differences be between the American League and National League anymore? Really wouldn't be any difference Nothing. at all. Just, so. just the markets. You know, just the AL is always going to have the Red Sox and Yankees, probably the two franchises that drive. Right. A lot of interest in other things in the game. Right. I mean, it really would be, I think uh, – time to, if you eliminated the DH, or if you adopted it in both leagues, one way or the other, if you standardize the DH rule, that would be kind of like the last difference. So in that in that way, that actually argues for the DH for me, because I do like the league identities. I'm an American League fan or a National League fan, as we used to joke <laughs> about. You know, We used to have a joke in the office about, how, you know, are there really South Atlantic League fans or yeah. Carolina League fans? I would say no, but... Does, does I, any other sport have this sort of dichotomy? No. Major, Not really. Like major league sport? I think that it's really done for in baseball when you consider how they've just changed two franchises from one league to the next. Yeah. I mean, and, and there's interleague game every day of the year. So. Yeah. So to me, I think I'm with Elliot. I think we're both with Elliot. Um, and we've had some other ideas about, and, and you kind of had this as well, some variations on this theme. First, uh, tying the starting pitcher to a DH, but once the starter is relieved, the DH exits the game with him. And then your idea was kind of a little bit different as well. Where it's kind of, well, I guess kind of similar to tweak on that idea, is it not? Mm-hmm. I'll let you explain it. It's your idea. Uh, yeah, this is just kind of for fun. It's a thought exercise. Yeah, exactly. Uh, a lot of this is allow managers to pinch hit for the pitcher's spot only once per game without requiring him to take the pitcher out. You know, this way, if if a one out runners in scoring position situation arises in the sixth, right. the starter's cruising, the manager can keep can keep his pitcher in and use a pinch hitter without incurring a penalty. What I found remarkable is that you and then A.J. Moss of ESPN, who emailed in a, his designated pinch hitter idea, mm-hmm. trademark, uh, trademark to A.J. <laughs> the DPH. Um, the yeah. DPH. But both of you kind of use the sixth inning kind of cutoff, and it goes back to, again, the specialization idea with the bullpens, mm-hmm. where a starting pitcher is basically like, go out there and give us five innings, and then we'll take it from here with our multiple dudes throwing 93 to 97. I mean, that's kind of really where this all gets wrapped up in the game and the way the game has changed in the specialization aspect. And if we're okay with specialization in the bullpens, we have to be okay with the DH. I'm actually more okay with the DH than I am with the specialization of bullpens, Matt. And that's kind of why I like your idea, and AJ's to an extent, because they both try to encourage starting pitchers to stay in. Mm -hmm. And... We've discussed this. It's not our idea. I forget if it was Bill James's or who wrote this, but middle relievers just are not. We just have more and more games decided by middle relievers who are, in a lot of ways, faceless, odorless, colorless. Well, they're probably not odorless, but um, it just not, these are not the stars. This would be like an NBA game being decided by a free throw contest between DeAndre Jordan and Shaq. I know Shaq doesn't play anymore. But 100%. I think the strikeout rate... The, the least the- interesting part of these games, in many ways, is these middle relievers. Yep. And they're they're an uh, outsized part of the game right now. Right. And teams view them as more or less interchangeable because all the roster machinations they use to get them on the roster. You know, I, th- I believe the strikeout rate in the majors in the ninth inning is like 30% so far this oh. year. So, I mean... 
if anything, I would like if you want pitchers to bat, they should bat for the first half of the game, and then maybe there's some sort of compromise where in the second half of the game it gets turned over to a DH to kind of counterbalance right. matchup relievers. Right, uh, that makes some sense. I don't know how to elegantly apply that, but I think that logically makes more sense. That's kind of AJ's idea, is it not? The DPH? No, no, he wants the DH in the first half. Oh, I'm sorry. And then sixth inning on, the rules rotate where either the pitcher must stay in and bat for the DPH, or gotcha. you can pinch hit and take the pitcher out of the game. And so it kind of merges the two strategies, the AL strategy for the first half of the game, the NL yeah. strategy for the second half of the game. Where, the, where it does, you know, the machinations do make it makes it is more exciting. Mm-hmm. I think theoretically at the end of a game. That said, the one thing I I never liked about what can be overmanaging or that kind of thing is, you know, it takes a long time. Yep. Double switches, these kind of things, takes time. There's delays. So I, I guess some people aren't as don't have as big of a problem with that as I do. But but I, I now mid inning pitching changes are the worst part about watching. It's absolutely the worst part of baseball, period. The minuting change. So we have a billion notifications on this as well, um, which is pretty hilarious. Um, but a lot of these are tied to uh, – a lot of these are actually – Carlos Colazzo, our former intern, actually said that the Bertolo Colonna bat is the only evidence we need for argument against the DH. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty, that's pretty hilarious that uh, people really did – I'm not the only one who picks up on that. Mm-hmm. Um, we have more comments, I think, on the expansion front, Matt, and you and I disagree about expansion. So let's, let's shift on the expansion because I think we agree – Gladly. I think we agree that the DH makes more sense for the modern game. And yeah. I guess other – we haven't even mentioned this. In an offensively challenged era, I don't mind more hitters. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'll cycle back around to that eventually. But, like, to me, it's like – it's not. It's not like a hundred parts DH positive, right. zero parts negative. I just think it's more positive than negative now. It's so more. That's it's, all. it's more like sixty forty DH as opposed to forty sixty that it might have been yeah. ten years ago for you. That's I, all. That's all I'm trying to convey. I do think there's one simple part of that that's interesting is that a lot of people I think our age or uh, in our age group grew up watching a lot of free or a lot of games on cable of National League teams. Yep, absolutely. Today it's not as true because you can watch every game. But back when it was cable but not internet, the Mets were on WOR, yep. the Cubs were on GN, the Braves were on TBS. TBS. Yeah, that's my, my entire summer vacation was watching those three teams. And that's it. And uh, there weren't as many games but for the good guys on, uh, <laughs> on TV back then as there, as there uh, might be now. Um, speaking of uh, Major League, again, expansion yep. is one th- topic. We're really, it was a story idea that I thought of this offseason where I thought it would be a good Major League preview kind of story. Um, we wound up doing an issue later. But to me, I guess what really hit it home for me, Matt, was that when you look at the history of expansion, so post-1961, this is we're tying for the longest stretch now. We're going to establish the longest stretch in the expansion era, so in baseball's truly modern era, mm-hmm. um, without expansion. And uh, you know, when the Nationals moved from Montreal, that, had, that ended the longest stretch where we had without a franchise move. Oh, what was that, 33 years, I think, 32 years between franchise moves? It's the 10th anniversary of the Nationals. and So since 1952, I guess when you had, what was the uh, St. Louis Browns move that year to Baltimore to be the Orioles in 53. Mm-hmm. So in the 50s, you had, a, you had this stretch of franchise moves. St. Louis to Baltimore. You had the Boston Braves to Milwaukee. Of course, the celebrated two New York teams to the West Coast. So you had a lot of franchise shifting at that time, plus all this expansion. We've been settled since 1998. The Rays and the Diamondbacks are fairly mature organizations by now, mm-hmm. and um, we haven't had that. Exp- so we haven't had expansions the longest stretch since 1977 when the Blue Jays and uh, Mariners started to 93 when we got the Marlins and uh, Rockies. So I think I thought it made sense for expansion from a time standpoint, from a historical standpoint. I feel like expansion would goose offense a bit. I I just don't know which are the natural markets. I also think 32 teams makes a ton more sense logistically than 30 teams. You can add one to each league, get rid of daily interleague play, which I don't like. Um, and, and so I, I think there are a lot of reasons that expansion makes logical sense. Where it doesn't make logical sense is where on earth are going to put two more teams? <laughs> and uh, that's kind of the conundrum. And that's kind of what our freelance writer, Jack Thompson, found in the feature he did, Matt. The general feeling in the game isn't so much that it would be bad to expand. It's just that let's 
let's figure out the A's and Rays first. Yeah, let's exactly. fix these two really bad stadium situations where the rest of baseball is going pretty well. We're printing money. There's certainly issues at the amateur level that we can that need to be addressed. Participation rates, those kind of things. But from a major league franchise health standpoint, we've got 28 pretty good ballpark situations. Where really Dodger Stadium and the Royals ballpark are two of your older ballparks now in the and game. The Angel Stadium, right? And the Angel Stadium. That's right. Those three are the 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 three oldest, other than Fenway and Wrigley. Yep. Um, so really, let's let's just settle Oakland and Tampa before we think about expansion. That was kind of your thought, but you also had some other thoughts on why you were anti-expansion. anti-expansion. That made me chuckle. <laughs> you want to talk about selfish I, reasons? I do want to talk about selfish <laughs> reasons. Some of them are selfish reasons, and some of them are not. Um, well, let's talk I, about I, the non-selfish reasons first. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, like you said, I, I would get the house in order first in Oakland and Tampa Bay before worrying about branching out. Uh, although I thought Commissioner Manfred's comments were interesting regarding where MLB would consider expanding, and that would be internationally. That was really ex- that was really interesting to me. To me. I, to me, I would be less opposed to it if that were the case, because I think that would, you know, make the make Major League Baseball truly an international league, unlike right. its AAA sister. <laughs> That's right. So Montreal is the obvious one. Yes. And uh, we didn't ask Jonah Carey to come on the podcast. It's okay. <laughs> Jonah, Jonah's made his uh, thoughts well made, well known within his book and over at Grantland. Um, San Juan, Puerto Rico. San there have been Juan. major league games played there. Uh, ironically, it was the Montreal Expos that played them there. Monterey, Mexico. There have been games played there. Yep. Mexico City. Um, Havana gets floated because of this uh, over, long overdue. And I can, I'll take your emails at johnmanuelbaseballamerica.com if you don't agree with this. Long overdue end of America's embargo and this rapprochement with Cuba. Um I don't know that Cuba, you know, which I guess only has 11 million people, which is kind of mm. startling that it's that small. So I don't know if Cuba, I think of Havana more as an international league city, which it used to be, right. than right. I think of as a national or American league city. It'd be ironic to have Cuba in the American league. I think, you know, keeping it to Montreal and San Juan also keeps it, you know, under the purview of the U.S. too. Which is- Those are both countries that uh, where you can draft someone from. <laughs> Puerto Rico's in the draft and part of the That's United States. That's a better States. way to say it, yes. Um, so they're both in the current structure, yes. <clears throat> Montreal only makes sense to me if there's a new ballpark there. Mm-hmm. There's no other, and that's what Commissioner Manfred has said. I don't know how likely that is, but I do know that economic conditions are very different in Canada now than they were in 2004 and the early part of the 2000s where the Canadian dollar was really weak at some of those times, and other times it was too strong or was too weak. It was difficult. There's tax issues uh, up there. But really the ballpark was the big issue. It's remarkable to see their fans fill that ballpark for ex- uh, these exhibition games. Matt, has that stunned you? Or I guess reading Jonah's book, but also just – I do remember when the Expos – they drew, I think, 3 million fans before the Yankees ever did. Yep. So No, so, so on that front, no, I'm not stunned. I, I guess just when the ownership decided to cut the – organization to a bone is when fans started to not be so interested. It really, I mean, after the strike and then when Jeffrey Loria became their owner, yeah. Loria plus the strike equaled the demise, really, of... Which is Expo sad Stars. because it had nothing to do with the quality of the organization. Of the organization. It would be great to have one more organization where they say organization <laughs> as well. So, Well, selfishly, adding two more teams would add a lot more work. <laughs> right. Especially when it came time for the prospect handbook. That's yes. 60 additional prospects. Ooh. A lot. You're holding 960 prospects. <laughs> Maybe we. But, how, how do we tr- how do we trim that down? <laughs> I know. We did, we, we, top 28 prospects. We'd have to go into collective bargaining on that one. It would be tough. But on the flip side, adding 12 more minor league affiliates also binds X number of players to minor league contracts, which I think I'm, I'm probably of the opinion now that there are too many players bound to minor league contracts. The minor league player has hmm. has less mobility now than I think is. I don't want to say fair. Fair is not the right word, but I think you're bound for seven years to an organization if they draft you in the 40th round. So that's a whole other discussion. So yeah. maybe we had three full season. Maybe teams have three full season teams, yeah, or two full season like, teams and two yeah. or three short season ones. Because really, you want to have more development opportunities for the younger players, but for the older guys, I'm, not, I'm just going to pick on them because I just did the game Monday night on milb.com and uh, the Durham Bulls broadcast. So say that those two lines was Charlotte and Durham. Durham is like Alexi Casilla, who actually looked really good, especially defensively. But uh, Jake Elmore and uh, Eugenio Velez, these guys really aren't made to be AAA 
players. They could be an indie ball stashed and be available for all the teams. If you needed a defensive middle mm. infielder, any team could go get Alexi Casilla. And that probably would be better for Alexi Casilla in a lot of ways. You don't get that mentoring of Alexi Casilla with, say, a Hakju Lee. Um, or Charlotte, which has, yeah, has some prospects with Trace Thompson and Matt Davidson and Kevin Smith. But at the same time, when they uh, have players called up, that was a pretty veteran pitching staff. A lot of those guys have been around a long time. But can the Somerset Patriots pay Casilla a competitive salary? That's the thing. It's like I think it just, if you take out those quote four A players from the game, you're right. It, it reduces their ability to actually make money and, and actually make further, a living. further their livelihood. So I would be opposed to it for that reason. A lot of those players would just stop playing. Yeah, and I, I don't think that's necessarily just. Hmm. I hadn't thought about it that way. That's a good argument. If, I'm, if, I'm not coming up with a counter right now. <laughs> I, was like, that's I mean, I'm just I'm just in favor of the player. I guess player rights is probably the way to put it in the minor leagues. But then they would have to have somewhere to have those rights where they would get paid. That's the problem is that Major right. League Baseball not subsidizing those independent leagues would make it difficult. That would be interesting if there was just but, a Major League subsidized right. like free-for-all pool. But your idea is interesting that, in that any team could, if they needed reinforcements, could have access to them without right. having to sign them to a minor league contract. Right, or uh, that could also entail some changes to the 40-man roster, which is, again... Has been as JJ. We, I'm glad we don't have JJ in here because we get a, his, the history lesson of the 40 man <laughs> roster. That story's coming, but it sounds like the 40 man roster is a very arbitrary number that's been arrived at a long time ago. And again, it's just hidebound tradition as opposed to logic at this point. Um, other expansion candidates. See, to me, Matt, I'm wondering if it would be time for base, Major League Baseball or when will the time be right for MLB to maybe expand again internationally to like Europe or to have. Uh, maybe some kind of interleague play with Japan's leagues. Mm-hmm. Are those things potential positives? That'd be you know, fun. Negatives? I don't know how that could work. That would be fun. Not, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> They're building a ballpark in Amsterdam, I know, that will be a potential host site for if Major League Baseball wanted to play exhibition games or even regular season games there like they did in Sydney last year with the Diamondbacks and Dodgers. Okay. And that makes a lot more sense to me. The Netherlands... If you've listened to our old World Baseball Classic podcast, you remember my, my affinity for the Netherlands, mostly because they put uh, they, they drown their French fries in, uh, in mayonnaise. Not not actually. That's not actually the reason why. It's because the Netherlands has a baseball tradition, not just uh, has some honkball tradition, not just Bert Blylevin being born there, but their recent tradition of players, not just even from Curacao, but from the Netherlands itself being signed to, pros- to, to contracts, um, their success in the World Baseball Classics. There's some there there with Dutch baseball fans. There's some actual Dutch hawkball fans. I think you get 10,000 people. I think if you had a 15,000-seat stadium and you had a major league exhibition, they'd fill it. Now, where else you'd go in, in, in Europe? That would be the big question, whether you'd want to have a team in England for American expats who seem to flock to NFL games when they play them in England. Um, I'm not sure if major league baseball feels like Europe is really a growth area for it. As much as maybe Latin America or South America, something I, like that. I would not want to wish those plane flights on Major League players either. Yeah, we would need uh, Concords. Major League Baseball <laughs> to research the Concord to bring it back since it's been mothballed <laughs> for more than a decade. Um, other expansion things that we discussed in the story, the New York, New Jersey area. That makes sense, Matt, but do you see the Mets or Yankees giving up some territory? I can't imagine. That would have to be imposed by above. San Antonio. I think San Antonio is interesting. Uh, it's big enough, I think. I'm not sure what the territorial rights argument would be there for uh, Houston and the Texas Rangers, but I do feel like the state of Texas. First mm-hmm. of all, I won't mess with it. Second of all, I do. <laughs> second of all, I do think it could sustain a third major league team. Um, but I'm not sure. And, and if it were to try a third major league team, San Antonio is the spot. Oh yeah. But uh, they, they would need a new ballpark, a big time ballpark, because they, they can't just play where the missions play, can they? No, that's an old facility. That's Wolf Stadium, I believe Wolf Stadium, it is. Yeah. Don't call me Miles Wolf Stadium. <laughs> and Portland, to me, Seattle has had en- enough trouble over the years. Why put another team in the Pacific Northwest? Yeah. We won't ask Rob Nyer why Portland should be. Check back in 10 years on that one. I-, I would say this. Keep a full season club for more than a decade <laughs> and then come talk to us. Because the Portland right. AAA team has been gone twice. Yep. Right? It's failed twice in the last 25 years. So, yeah. but Last but not least, North Cackalack. We're a little biased here in North and, and Durham, Matt. Do you believe that, especially if the now there's rumors that we the, the Triangle area where we live 
There's Charlotte, which is two and a half hours southwest, and then the Raleigh-Durham area, which are two separate cities. In some ways, near the twain shall meet, but other ways they do meet at, at the airport mm-hmm. in between the two. There was also, you know, 20 years ago, there was a move to try to have the Don Beaver and his group, which owns a lot of minor league teams, buy the Minnesota Twins from the Griffith family and move them to Greensboro. Hmm. They would have built a city. They would have built a stadium out in Kannapolis, and that bid failed. They would want to get tax money to build the ballpark in Kannapolis, in between Greensboro and Winston Salem. Oh wow! And uh, I was actually working at the High Point Enterprise newspaper at the time for three months in the summer of 1996 before I came here. And the owner of the Enterprise was a minority owner for Don Beaver. And our sports editor there, Benny Phillips, told me that if the team moved, they would need a beat writer, and I could be the beat writer of that team. So I was, like, all geeked. And then uh, the Greensboro I still took a job here. I still took a job here, but that's it. And I just remember it was in one of Peter Gammon's Baseball America columns when I first moved here. In the short notes of the dot, dot, dot section, one of them just had a note about whatever, probably about Jack Armstrong on a comeback trail. <laughs> dot, 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 dot. Greensboro, question mark? Dot, dot, dot. And then we moved on. <laughs> that was it. So like that Second largest city in the state. That obviously didn't happen. Not anymore. Third largest oh, after, Raleigh. after Raleigh. Okay. But, um, yeah, Greensboro is sleepy. So we, we have a, there's a, obviously major league teams in Charlotte with a, the Hornets in basketball and the Panthers in football. Raleigh has the Hurricanes hockey team, which won a Stanley Cup in 2006, but has been a horrible franchise since then. They haven't made the playoffs six straight years, I think it is now. And there's talk of them moving this offseason. I've seen articles really? elsewhere. There's talk of the Hurricanes being bought because it is the team is for sale. Uh, fellow Greek Americans, uh, the Carmanos family wants to sell the team. So if the team were to be sold, that it would be moved potentially to, to another Canadian market. So hmm. um, that I think that actually would make it more likely. And I've always thought that if the Research Triangle area here, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, if it had uh, and it's grown quite a bit. Wake County is close to a, where Raleigh is, is close to a million residents. Actually, the metro area is probably around 1.5 million people. Um, it doesn't have enough infrastructure for a major league team. But that if you did move a major league team here, and if hockey wasn't here, I think it actually would work. The, the hockey team drains some of the corporate support you'd need for major league baseball. And I think baseball fits very well with the basketball season, which is the dominant sport in this area. So I'm of the I'm in the minority that I think Major League Baseball could have a chance to work here, but most people who uh, are in the know on this say the people who own the Durham Bulls, they seem to think the market is 15 to 20 years away in terms of population and financial growth uh, before it could have a Major League franchise here be be uh, successful. Matt, could you ever see a team being successful in this triangle area? And if so. Would you just put it in Durham, where the Bulls play now, or would you put it out in the in the hinterland by the airport? Uh, probably the latter. I think um, I think in our lifetimes it's possible, but like you said, it's going to require a decade or more of, of further growth, and you know, just transportation to the site, right? You know, because I can imagine the interstates would be a nightmare. Yeah, traffic around here uh, for the size of the market is not good because the infrastructure, because the growth has been so fast, infrastructure has not kept up with growth. And there's the mass transit is uh, poor, and I would say. And Charlotte kind of more or less conceded the point that they're not getting a team by building the AAA park the way they did. Right. So it's a small footprint. Unfortunately, that again, that's another decade or two before we'll get a resolution on that, I would so imagine. It feels like we're a decade or mm-hmm. maybe more from further base MLB expansion. Do you think that's kind of where the situation is, Matt? I think so. Um Unless it was a hot topic for the commissioner's office. And, and furthermore, another good point in here, which you added to the story, was that back in the 90s, MLB was able to extract $300 million in, right. in expansion fees from the D-backs and Rays. Yeah, $130 million expansion fees for Tampa and Arizona. So. And a, in a brutal, uh, in a couple of kind of brutal markets. And this is right after right the after strike. The strike. Yep. Amazing. But I, I don't think that same financial motivation is there right now. For Major League Baseball. What do you think expansion fees would be, though, now in a $9 billion industry <laughs> if Major League Baseball said, you know what, we're going to throw this open, expansion fees, what will be what? You have to at least, have to at least double those. I'd say like $300 Triple? million. Dollars? I'm thinking $300 million minimum to expand. <laughs> I mean, the Atlanta Hawks just sold for $850 million is the story today, and that's a 
second-rate basketball franchise historically. Obviously, they were the number one seed in the NBA's Eastern Conference this year. But historically, I've been to Hawks games, uh, both you, in the Omni and uh, in, the, in the Phillips Arena currently. You've seen films? I've seen films, and I've been in person. So I just don't see it uh, as a premier franchise. And they got nearly a billion dollars. And clearly the L.A. Clippers are a premier franchise historically. And their brand was pretty tarnished by the whole Donald Sterling stuff. They still sold for more than a billion dollars. So I think $300 million minimum for a Major League Baseball expansion fee. I think it probably would be higher. And that is yet another barrier to expansion. So even though it seems like it makes some sense, I don't see it happening anytime soon, Matt. But uh, it does seem like uh, the people who uh, I have a lot of triangle area followers and – a lot of guys mm-hmm. really seem like they want, they love it to happen here, but they just don't think the corporate dollars are here for it to happen. And well, I mean, selfishly, yeah, we would love it. But I tend to agree. See, and that was my last question. I thought we'd wrap on that. Would you love it if, say, the Rays moved here? Mm-hmm. Would you prefer that, or do you like the fact that there's so many? Because I, I would have a feeling that would push out a lot of minor league franchises from this area. Would you like? We, we might lose the Burlington Indians or Royals. Like if they've been the Royals <laughs> for like seven years. What if what if a major league franchise being here caused the Carolina Mudcats, the Burlington Royals, even the Greensboro or Woods of Salem teams to move? Would hmm. that would that negatively affect your view of a major league team here if it cost the area say two, three, or four minor league franchises? Or would you not care? Would that be? I, I think the benefit of actually seeing major league players from you know all teams come here would be without way any negative. I would agree. If a team moved to North Carolina, would you rather they had spring training in Arizona or Florida? <laughs> I'm just being ridiculous now. Florida, so you could drive it. Arizona's better spring training, but I like I like the drive. I like making the drive this spring. So do you? I okay. did actually. I, I did. I, I prefer the drive. Uh, the fact that I could drive to spring training and have my car and I have to rent. True. I like that. I was uh, that versatility was uh, was a good deal. I enjoyed that. So and uh, more yeah. cost effective for four people. But if it was just you going to Arizona. Oh, if it was just me, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. But I had my kid in tow, so I had one of my kids, I should say. So and I know my daughter would not have handled being in the car for eight <laughs> hours. So that's a, that's, that's a whole other point. But it was fun discussion, Matt. Uh, I think there's, you know, and there's been a lot of discussion on our Facebook page, oddbaseballamerica.com, in the comment section on both those stories. Did you expect that to happen with your DH story? Or were you yeah. kind of hoping for it? Uh, I, I knew it was a, it would be a contentious issue, yes. Well, what's the next baseball that's going to be that's going to be that that's going to get more than 100 comments? Any, <laughs> uh, or, or, I'm, I'm going to let, let things lie for a while. The next one is about um, prospects who we can expect more power production from this season. I like that idea. I'm trying to round up uh, Eric Johnson of the uh, Charlotte, uh, Chicago White Sox and the Charlotte Knights, but he, uh, we didn't make things happen yesterday. We'll just put it that way. We didn't All make right. things happen yesterday. Hopefully we will today. And we'll also post some more footage of Matt's blazing 61-mile-an-hour fastball soon. Because <laughs> there will be another Baseball America staff workout as we break uh, Teddy Cahill into the office. And uh, uh, we have to post more video of it next time. We might just periscope the whole thing. Let's make the whole thing live. Do it live! So, uh, more exactly, more tomfoolery to come at BaseballAmerica.com. But the good good discussion today, Matt. It was fun being back in the podcast and up with you. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back with more on the next Baseball America podcast. Format Eddie. I'm John Manuel. Until next time, so long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.